Hello and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast. The show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Landon Rohrer speaks about Colossians 3, 15-17, where Paul makes his culminating point about living as Christians. By casting off our old earthly ways, putting on new Christ-like ways, and letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let's hear today's message. Well, good morning. For those of you that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Landon Jackson Rohr, and I am uh, the Youth Ministry Director here at First Prez. And it's a privilege and an honor to be with you. I, as we've been talking these past couple weeks about the sermon series, uh, you might have heard that the past two weeks were a two-part series. And I think as we look more and more at it, uh, Pastor Clinton, Pastor Jason just forgot the lowly youth pastor, and it's actually a three-part series. <laughs> so I'm bringing up the rear. Uh, no, but w- when we think about what we've got been going over these past few weeks, everything really does flow together. Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Clint talked about our old life and our earthly ways and these things we need to get rid of because they divide us and they divide people. And then last week, Pastor Jason talked about our new life and our new way of being and these things we need to put on to be brought together into unity. And today, as we finish uh, this part of chapter 3, we'll see that Paul has laid out a very clear formula for how we're supposed to live this life. But we've been talking about getting rid of old, bad ways and putting on these new, good ways. Um, I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried just to stop doing a bad thing or to start doing a good thing, it's really, really hard. Uh, It's not easy. I think another way to think about this is like trying on clothes, which I hate. Uh, When you find clothes that fit, they fit just right, you're like, this is perfect. And when you find clothes that don't fit, you're like, man, this is moving on. And it feels like such a chore to find good clothes, at least for me. Uh, I don't I just struggle to dress myself well. I'm very, very gr- grateful that my wife, Alyssa, will double and triple check all of my outfits. That's what, even this morning, I was like, does this work? Can I do this? And she's like, no, you're fine. Um, but I have a photo of an outfit I did wear. I went shopping at Franklin Park Mall with some students one time, and I bought that hoodie from the dollar bin, but it's a woman's double XL, and it's a sleeveless hoodie, and I think it's like fall, which is why I'm wearing orange boots. Um, I don't know what it was, uh, and I lost this hoodie like two weeks later at a Bible study, so I did not keep it for long. Um, I don't know what it was about it, I just really liked it, and as I was thinking about trying on clothes and we're talking about getting rid of old things and putting on new things, we kind of arrive at this question of, was this hoodie, was this made for me, or was I made for it? And I think you'll figure out that I was not made for this hoodie. It was in the women's section. Uh, how I ended up over there and in their dark, I don't know. But I did, and I bought it, and I lost it, and I loved it. Um, but we're going to talk about, in a similar vein, right, this life that Paul is calling us to, where we cast off our old ways and put on these new ways. Is this a life that was made for us? Is this a life that we were made for? I think it's both. And we're going to see that the life that we try to live all too often is not made for us and we were not made for it. So if you'll pray, for, if you'll pray with me. Lord, I thank you that 
you can bring us together as a family, that we can worship and have joy and hope and listen to beautiful music and worship like we just did. Lord, I pray that you would help us to consider your peace and consider how you rule in our life, that you would help us to consider the life that you made for us and the life that we're putting on. Would we walk out of here uh, not under our own rule, but under yours? It's in your son's name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before I get going, for anyone that's taking notes, I just want to preface with, I was a, I was a chemistry major in school, uh, so I love formulas and orders and direct. I'm really, really good at following directions. I was a Lego kid. Um, so I think when we look at Paul's message today, there's an explanation, there's a formula, and then I think our church is living this formula out, so I have a real-world example that I want to talk about. But I'm going to kind of do like a bullet point list. So if you take, if you're a note taker, hopefully this helps you. Our first big bullet point is to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that might sound familiar because it is, it is verse 15. So we're going to put verse 15 up on the screen. And so here we go for the third time. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So as we consider verse 15, the first two words, first two big words, are let and peace. And those two words are really, really important. The word let, when, when you translate it, there's all these tools to let you know, is this a verb or an adjective, and what kind of verb is it? If you're a big English person, which I am not, uh, you might know what this means, but let is an imperative verb. Another way to say that is it's a command. Paul is commanding us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And I don't know if you've ever, like, tried to let something happen, but it's really, it's hard. How are we supposed to let things, you know, you can't, like, I can lift things, I can run places, I can do things. How am I supposed to let things? And then what we're supposed to let happen is let the peace of Christ rule in our heart. That's a tall, tall order. And we don't know what it le- looks like to let peace rule in our hearts right now. Societally, we're super nervous and anxious and fearful, and we have all these other things that rule in our hearts. And it reminds me a lot of uh, what my young life leader, the man that introduced me to Jesus, his name was Ryan Irwin. Ryan used to always say that there's a throne on our hearts. And th- that was an image that stuck with me. Because what we put on the throne of our heart matters. So I'm going to ask some questions, and I need to make sure everyone's still awake. So I need you to answer. So if you might talk over some people, that's okay. But we have an image of a, of a throne, right? So my first question, I, everyone's going to get this right. How many people can sit on a throne? One. One. Good job, Silas. Let's, go, let's get everyone in on this. How many people can sit on a throne? Great. Okay. This question is a little bit more complicated. There's multiple answers. Who can sit on a throne? Kings, queens, princes, princesses. Drink some coffee at breakfast. Uh, We're revving up over here. It's awesome. People with authority sit on the throne. So then the question is, why do we have a throne? Why do we have a throne? Why do we need it? They're already in power. 
And we have a throne because it's a symbol of power, and we recognize that the person who sits in that throne has power over us. When you go into a court, you act and dress a certain way because that judge has power over your life. And much more so when you step into a throne room and the king is there. The, the difference between a judge and a king, at least for the sake of this illustration, is that a judge executes rules. They follow rules. A king can overrule you. We might be doing the right thing. We might be following the law, and the king can say, I'm done with that law. Here's a new law. He can overrule us. So if we have a throne in our heart, the person or the thing that sits on our throne has power over us. They can rule, they can rule us. They can overrule us. The things that we think are right and wrong, if we're letting someone or something else rule us, we might not do what we think is right. And what we think is right will probably come from who sits on the throne. So my question to you, and you should write this down and consider answering it, is who or what sits on the throne of your heart? Who or what sits on the throne of your heart? If it's you, if you are the king or queen of your own life, that's not good. We are not good at ruling our own life. I don't know if you have, you know, spent a lot of time with young children, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight. They think they know what they want. They know what food they want to eat. They know what they want to do, and they're full of energy. And if we let them do whatever they wanted to do, it'd, it'd be bad. Uh, I was just at the park yesterday with my family and my younger cousin, cousin, my younger sister-in-law, her name's Grace. Grace rode her scooter all day. I mean, just like nonstop. It was scooter, 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 scooter. And at one point, she is going down a hill just really, <laughs> really fast because Grace was done listening. She was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride this scooter. I'm going to go where I want. And thank goodness she knows how to use her brakes and she broke her, you know, the scooter she used to brake. She didn't brake. She used the scooter's brakes, and she was fine. But you turn around, and there's another girl going down the other side of this hill, and she just, wham, right into the ground. When we rule in our own lives, we don't do a good job. And maybe more than that, it's just when we, are, when we worship ourselves, that is the definition of sin. When we are the most important person in our life, when we are the king or queen, the ruler of our life, when we sit on the throne of our own heart, that is sin. It does not work out. So if we're supposed to let the peace of Christ rule over us, we'd have to put Christ and his peace in the throne of our heart. What would that look like? What would it look like if the peace of Christ ruled in our heart? Well, we can jump to verse 16 to find the answer to that. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We can keep that up for a second. Does your life look like this? I think as a church we do this. It's beautiful and amazing and I'm grateful for it. But does your life look like this? If Christ dwells in your heart and is ruling over you and his peace is ruling over you, I think I should have said this earlier, but when we talk about let the peace of Christ, we can't, we can't force things to let happen. So maybe a better way of saying that is to surrender. Are you surrendering to Christ and letting him rule over you? 
Are his priorities becoming your priorities? Are the things we're doing going from earthly, worldly things to what Colossians 3.16 is talking about? If the peace of Christ is ruling over you, if you are submitting to the Lord, if you know that peace, our lives will look like this. And it changes everything. I, I say that because, have you ever tried, just like before I said, has anyone tried being a good person? And it's not super easy, right? We try to be a good person, and then we mess up. Have you ever just tried being at peace? The, the kids are screaming in the next room, and you're like, I'm just going to ignore that. Your sibling is like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. That was, my, my younger sister, Lakin, she is like the queen of pushing my buttons. She knows exactly what to say to get me fired up. Like, I, even I don't know what'll make me mad, and she's like, and like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I can't just be at peace when my younger sister knows all my little trigger points. It's hard. And we're called to be at peace. If we're going to let the peace of Christ rule over us, if we're going to surrender to God, and we're going to allow our priorities to look like his priorities, our life must reflect what Colossians 3.16 is saying. We must be alive and well in his teaching and in worship and in proper living. And that's a high call. I don't think I do that all the time. I don't know if you do that all the time. But that's what we're called to do is let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. That's how we do it. Now this is the second big bullet point. Is So if you let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, then we will be united. We will be united in all that we do. As we were talking about this in the pastor's Bible study, we, instead of using the word united, we talked about the word harmony. Like just as we heard the woman's choir sing, when, all, when everyone's doing their job just right and working together towards a common end and the volume is right and the notes are right and all, all the things that are right, we're in beautiful, perfect harmony. And what everyone makes together is so much better than anything someone could make on their own. We're, when we follow Christ's rule, when we, we put Christ on the throne of our heart, we, it's, not, it's not if we become unified, it's we will become unified. We will be in unity with other people. Other folks who are letting Jesus rule in their life, we will be drawn to them and we will live life together. And it's amazing. I say that uh, because when we read Colossians 3, like if you go back to some of the other cha- like verses, maybe verses 1 through 4 or you know, 5 through 8, pick, pick a verse, Paul keeps using the word you. So specifically in verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so if you stop and listen, he says your, like singular, like your heart. But he doesn't say heart, he says hearts. That's because every time he says you or every time he says your, he's really saying y'all or all y'all. Let the peace of Christ rule in all of your hearts. That's different. That's different. Because we're really, as Americans, we're super individualistic. When I say the word peace, if you close your eyes and think about peace, you think like of a, maybe of a candle, and you got your nice little cup of coffee and a book, and it's quiet, maybe like you're on the beach or at a rainforest or wherever peace is for you, right? But that peace is probably in isolation. It's personal peace. 
It's tranquility, it's being alone, it's being quiet. Paul's not talking about personal peace here. He's talking about peace among people. He's talking about peace among unity. So instead of peace where you're by yourself, he's talking about having peace with other people. And if you look at this photo, there's a lot of chaos going on, right? But we have peace because everyone's being themselves. We're not worried about what the other person's going to say or think or do. We're just being ourselves. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm sneezing, if you can see me. I think I'm sneezing. Celia's in the bottom right. She's got something going on. A lot of attitude there. Uh, In the bottom left, Kylie and Ava are just screaming. I mean, I don't know who's waving. I don't know. Collins is up here. Like, that photo is so much better than just everyone standing still and smiling. The same way that a chorus is so much better than just a single person singing. It's beautiful. And when we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, when we surrender to him, when our priorities match his priorities, we will be unified with one another. We will be in harmony with one another. And when we, are, when we are in unity and we have harmony, we can be authentic, we can be vulnerable, we can be honest, we can be real. How much better is it when you have friends, when they ask you, how are you doing? You can say, I'm not doing well. And let the guard down. How much better is it when you have a couple folks you can call when you're in a time of need and say, I need help, and you know that they will deliver. How much safer do you feel when in your time of struggle, you can call someone and say, I'm struggling with this and I need a distraction, I need help, I need prayer, and they'll pray with you. I'll never forget the time my friend John Moore, I asked him to pray for me, and he called me the day I I asked him to pray for an event, and he did, he called me and he said, hey, I prayed for you. How did it go? I felt so loved and seen and cared for, and I knew I could trust John with anything because he did that. That's what allowing the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts will do for us. When we're at peace, we can be at unity, and when we have unity, we can live this life that was built for us. We can start to put on this life. Even more beautiful than that is I think other people will see that life that we're living. Have you ever met people who are real friends and you say, I want a piece of that? Have you met folks who just have a good relationship, they have rapport, and you don't know what they've done. They must have gone to battle with each other. They must have, you know, been pranked together. They might, you don't know. They, they raised kids together, whatever it was. But they, they just know each other and they're real. We, we, we want to be a part of groups like that. So when people who don't know Jesus, when people who haven't heard the gospel see us letting the peace of Christ rule in us and they see us being unified and they see us supporting each other and loving one another and living living the life that they are made to live, they'll see that and want to join in. We can share the gospel without ever saying the name of Jesus by loving each other being at peace, and being unified. It's amazing. Our church is doing that. Since COVID started, we have been growing in attendance. I think it's because people see what's going on at First Pres, 
They see the people we have. They see the lives we live. They see the hope that we have in Christ. And they don't know what that means, but they know that they want it. Because that's the life that they were made to live. It's, it's exactly what we're supposed to do. I also heard in our pastor's Bible study, someone said this, and I, I just had to include it. We don't need to wait till heaven to be living in heaven. It's such a beautiful thought. By living with peace ruling in our hearts and by living together, we can start to experience the life that we will experience today. We don't need to be waiting for our future. We can have, we can have our hope now. We're not, we're not stuck just sitting around waiting. I just I think that's awesome. So that's the first two bullet points, is we must allow the peace of Christ to rule in our heart, and then the second bullet point, that peace will unify us. The third bullet point is maybe the most like, important, and the third bullet point is when we do those two things, right, we will joyfully give thanks. It will happen. And verse 17 walks us right through this. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, Paul is giving us a tall, tall order. He's asking us to cast off old things, put on new things, be good people, let peace rule in our heart. Like, this is a high calling. And now he's saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, in everything that you do, give thanks. He just said this two verses ago at the end of verse 15. Verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and unite you. And then it says, and be thankful. Paul is talking about thankful and thankful and thankful. How do we do that? In all that we do and in all that we are, we're supposed to give thanks? I know that when we aren't ruled, I know when the peace of Christ does not sit on the throne of our hearts. And when we're not unified with people, it's very, very hard to be thankful. I don't know if you or someone you know is experiencing depression or experiencing anxiety, but the folks that I know who are experiencing that feel alone and they feel ruled by an emotion they cannot control. Very isolated. When you feel alone, isolated, and ruled by these negative emotions, it's hard to be thankful. You're just surrounded by this muck and mire, this spiritual warfare that you just can't seem to win. But when you are allowing peace to rule on your heart, you can start to fight back a little bit. These thoughts can come into your mind, these ideas, these old ways, and you can say, that's not, that's not right. I'm supposed to have this new way. And you don't know how you're going to get there, but at least you can, you can fight it. And if you're allowing this peace to rule in your heart and you're unified with a couple people, when you start fighting these fights, your friends, your family, the people who are following Jesus in your life can come alongside you and carry your burden. And they can help you. And you don't have to be stuck in this anxiety and this depression and this, these other things that are going on in your life. I'm not saying it goes away overnight. But I am saying that when you're alone and you're not ruled by peace, it's a lot harder to work through this. But when we have peace in our hearts and unity with each other, we can overcome these obstacles. 
and we can be thankful. Like, imagine you are that person who's stuck in depression, and along comes your friend and says, how can I help you? Oh, why did that just be such a sweet breath of relief? Thank you. I needed this help. On the flip side of that, when life is going well, it's really easy to be thankful. When you have peace in your heart and when you have unity amongst our peers and we're in harmony, when life's going well, there's a lot to be thankful for. Just the peace and the unity are worth being thankful for, let alone all the other things. And maybe this is just me, but I think we all know it's really easy to forget to be thankful when we have these mountaintop moments. Like you get a new car, you buy a house, you have a kid or a grandkid, or you finish high school or whatever. And it's really easy to kind of forget to be thankful because you're so caught up in the moment of it all. But we also know it's really hard to be thankful when we're at the lowest of our lows. That when we really, really need help and our mom is sick, and when we really, really need peace and my job just keeps getting bigger and harder, how are we supposed to be thankful? I know we have to be thankful in those moments because being thankful in those moments puts peace back into our hearts. As a type 1 diabetic, my body does not often do what I want it to do. There are moments where I can't, I I just can't do what I want. I can't take care of the people I want to take care of. I can't do the things I want to do. I can't go the places I want to go. I can't, I can't, I just went camping with my family and I was more worried about do we have enough food for me to not have a low blood sugar and be a burden than, like, do we have flashlights in a tent? Those are really important things if you're going tent camping. But I was so caught up in this fear. Um, and then Alyssa just looked at me and she said, hey, I packed a bag of food. What else do you need? And all of a sudden I was like, no, we're going to be okay. And a prayer that I pray daily is, Lord, thank you for giving me a body that does what I need it to do. It doesn't always work. You know, sometimes I lose this fight. Sometimes I end up with migraines and I sit things out and I have to wait. But I can love the people I want to love and I can do the things I want to do and I can, I have a body that works. And when I pray that prayer, like, and when I'm thankful for that, I can overcome the, all the negative that comes along with being diabetic. So I don't know what, what it is for you. It's really hard to put that into a question but what are the things in your life that if you were thankful for, them, thankful for them, the Lord could redeem? Because I promise if you were, the Lord will. It's amazing to give back to the Lord something that needs healing and, when he, and he heals it. So that is the formula, right? I think that's, so that's the teaching part. So the, the hard part's over, okay? We're in two parts of class, the hard part's over. We have to let the peace of Christ rule in our heart that will unify us and that unity will bring us thankful, joyful thanksgiving. I think our church is doing that. I think we see that in the youth that we have coming to our church. Both our students that are up here today, students that are you know, younger and in children's church normally, students that don't get to be a part of our youth group and don't get to go camping. If you look at our youth, you'll see that our church does this. So, so here's the example. This fall I came to the church wanting 30 students to go to summer camp. And I did not have peace about it. There's a lot of wheels involved. There's a lot of things involved with getting kids to camp. There's money, there's parents, there's paperwork, there's transportation, there's health forms. There's a lot. 
And I, I did not have peace about this. I was worried and anxious, and I was trying to figure things out my way. I put myself on the throne of my heart and said, I have to do this. And it was not working. So I came to the church, and I said, I'm trying to get 30 kids to go to camp. Will you help me? And the church said yes. The church let the peace of Christ rule over them, and our church gave. They gave we, we gave time, we gave money, we gave prayer, we gave support. Our church's priorities weren't about what can we get, what can we do for ourselves, it was what can we do for these students? How can we love these kids the way that Jesus does? And you gave your time, and you gave your money, and you, you didn't really get a lot out of it. Like, you, maybe you got a car wash. Maybe you got some mulch laid, some yard work done. I hope that was you. I hope you can raise your hand and be like, yeah, the kids did something. But that might not have been what happened to you. But you were unified in what you did. Our church was unified in our giving and our support. Our church was unified and expectantly waiting to see what would happen with our students who went to camp. And our students went to camp. And it's just worth noting that we have students that come from families who don't come to this church. We have students who come from families who aren't highly valuing faith and who don't have a ton of disposable income. But because our church allowed the peace of Christ to rule over them and give what they could give, and because our church was unified in what we gave and what we hoped for and what we prayed for, we supported our youth and we supported our mission and we supported our church and 27 students got to go to camp. And not one of them was told money, you can't go because you can't pay the bill. And it was amazing. Like, I hope you ask some of these students, whether you see them here or whether you see them out at Kroger or Meyer or at their job, you know, out in the wild. I hope you ask them, like, how they're doing. How did camp go? What's going on in your life? Because... We can stand as a church united and celebrating that the Lord worked in their life. So I just, I did this in the first service and I want to do it again today. I think this will be really cool. So if you went to camp with us this summer, would you stand up? So this is not 27 kids. So, so there's some people missing. If you've ever been to camp, whether as a camper or a leader with First Pres Church, could you stand up? There should be some extra people in the room. We got a couple more folks. We got a couple more. Okay. If you've ever been to a church camp, would you stand up? That's a lot of people. So look around the room and take note that this is worth celebrating. This is worth being thankful for. This is worth being joyous over because this works. Young people, young men and women get to meet Christ, build friendships that last a lifetime, and hopefully bring them into the body of the church. Let's celebrate that. You guys can all sit. I just think it's so cool that this isn't something that's new. Like, we're not doing anything new. We're just building relationships and sharing Christ with our students. And so are you. We're unified in doing that as a church. I also think it's worth noting that you might notice there's a lot more students in our service today. A lot of our students worship at other churches. A lot of them don't have family that worships here, so it's hard for them to get here. Some of them don't have transportation, so they have to find their own transportation. 
all of that aside, it's worth celebrating that these students have met Jesus and are a part of a church, the church that is Christ's bride. It's just so amazing. To recap what we did as a church, we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and our actions were informed. We, we didn't do what was best for us. We did what was best for the church. And we served God whoever we could, whether that was with our time, our money, our actions. And in that, in allowing that peace to rule over us and in those actions, we were unified. We were unified in our priorities. We were unified in what we did. And we were unified in what we hoped for and prayed for. And now we can stand unified and thank God for the work he's done and celebrate the work that he will still do. There are students in our church that didn't get to go to camp this summer. And those students have been coming to youth group and hearing about Jesus and performing outside of the church and doing sports outside of the church and being community leaders outside of the church. It's not all about camp, but camp is fun. But what we do as a church supports all of our youth. So I guess my challenge to you, one of my challenges to you is to consider how you could be unified with our students. How could you have peace with an eighth grader? How could you be unified with a junior? What would that look like? I know it would look like changing the lives of those students, and I know it'll change the life of you too. Um, and so, and from me, I just want to say thank you for what you did. We got to send 27 kids to camp, and they had their lives changed. So I'm going to ask a couple of you guys, if you can come up now, a couple of our students are going to come up and share about their camp experience. And I would encourage you, whether it's after the service, like I said, out in the wild, talk to them, because what you're about to hear, I think, will really surprise you. So everyone's going to answer three questions. They're going to introduce themselves, tell you their favorite part of camp, and then one thing they learned. We'll keep it simple. <coughs> yeah, good. Morning. <laughs> Second one today. Good morning. Yeah. Brody's uh, surprised, like not surprising. He said, this is really funny, so buckle up. This is good. <laughs> um, my name is Brody Michael Zoki. I'm a freshman at Maumee High School. And uh, I was asked to speak today about church camp, obviously. And my favorite part, even though there were a ton of activities presented to us, my favorite part was just hanging out in the cabin with my friends after each day. Um, I can't say much about that because I made an oath to not talk about it. <laughs> um, That's good. Yeah. And... What was the other part? What was one thing you learned? Uh, yeah, one thing I learned was Jesus has, and um, he's already like planned my life. My life is in his hands and um, he's in the driver's seat of my life. And all I need to do is take my hands off the wheel and let him guide me. Hmm. Um, I'm Jaron Millen, I'm a senior at Penna Career Center. Um, my favorite part of camp probably was the square dancing. We had this like giant carnival night that was really fun. And my, um, the one thing I learned was probably that I shouldn't really let my past experiences really get in the way of what I'm trying to achieve later in life and that God is, he does everything for a reason. 
Hi, my name is Audrey Wagner. I'm gonna be a junior at Maumee High School. And um, my favorite part of camp was being able to walk around and like just be able to say hi to everyone. Like you could seriously like just go up to anyone and everyone was so friendly. It was like super easy to make friends like with anyone. But um, something I learned from camp was that like I would like look up to my leaders and I would see them like as do, like doing no wrong, but everyone has a past and like God forgave them for their past and he could forgive me for mine and he like still loves me unconditionally and it like really like sought through then. Hi, my name is Celia Neitzel and I'm a junior at Mommy High School. My favorite part of camp was probably the dance party and something I learned was no matter what, Jesus always has your back, and you can always turn to Jesus at the end of the day. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Maybe. So, camp is a lot of fun. Like, I really enjoy going to camp and waking up at 6 a.m. and going to bed at 2 a.m. every day. I love it. Um, but camp is fun, in all seriousness. But what you don't get to see when you don't get to go, because it's a privilege to go, is what happens in the lives of these students. They come to life. We take their phone away, and they panic a little bit, and then all of a sudden they're talking to people, and they're making friends, and they're doing things they never thought they would do, and they're learning lessons that they never thought they'd learn, and they get to just be kids again. There's not a lot of just being a kid when there's the next test and the next sport and this and that and the other. It's, it's hard. It's performative. And at camp, we can just go and be ourselves and open the Bible and be real with one another. And it's just amazing. So again, thank you for supporting our students and for allowing them to go to camp and have this experience. And thank you for supporting our students who didn't get to go to camp by loving them and encouraging them and attending their events and asking them about what they're doing and who they're becoming. We as a church, we're a multi-generational church, and we have the privilege and the honor of looking at our young people, myself included, and supporting them and loving them and helping them become the people that God has made them to be. And helping them to, as Paul has laid out for us, live the life that was made for them. So I'll pray for us and we will wrap up. Lord, I thank you that you are a father who promises peace. You could rule with an iron fist, but instead you rule with peace and you call us to do the same. That peace will give us unity, Lord, with one another. And I thank you that we can stand unified in our hope, we can stand unified in our fear, and we can stand unified knowing that you will give us everything we need. Lord, I thank you that that unity leads to thankfulness and that we can live a life that even in the midst of suffering and sorrow, we can point to you and find things to be thankful for, that you are a God who delivers and promises and heals and works miracles, and that we get to witness that and know it. Thank you for loving our youth and bringing them to us. Thank you for helping us to support them and encourage them. And I pray that as we leave today, Lord, we would find ways to continue to support and encourage them. We love you and thank you. It's in your son's name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org.
Have a great week.